0: Today's guest is the author of The Lays of Anaskaya trilogy, which includes The Winds of Kalakovo, The Straits of Galahesh, and The Flames of Shadamkora. His latest series, The Song of the Shattered Sands, includes book one, The Twelve Kings in Sharokai, with the next title in the series, Of Sand and Malice Made, which drops September 6th. He's also penned multiple short stories, novellas, and novelettes, and even won the Writers of the Future contest. He's picked up multiple Gamal Award nominations, amongst other awards, A Father, A Husband, and no doubt one of the most prominent new voices writing fantasy fiction today. We're glad to welcome Bradley P. P. to the show bradley thank you for joining us today well thanks for having me on great to have you i'm doing research for this episode man there's so many things that we could talk about i could literally have you on the podcast <laughs> for hours I'm i've got sure my fingers many in a lot of pies <laughs> uh many of our listeners i'm sure are, are familiar with your work with your uh fantasy trilogy the lays of aniskaya you've written multiple um Uh, short stories. You were in the Blackguards anthology, which we've talked about before. You're um, forthcoming in a couple of uh, the newest um, anthologies coming out from Ragnarok. So you're just all over the place and and folks definitely know who you are. But for folks who are not familiar with you, I think it's great to finally have you on the show today. You've done great work in podcasting uh, on Speculate, which is a great show that's still going on. Uh, But we're here today to talk about Of Sand and Malice Made, which is Actually, a prequel to Book One, the Twelve Kings of Shirokai, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: I had uh, written Twelve Kings, uh, and you know that was coming out and such. And then I, I wanted to get something out there between books one and two, just to kind of keep my name out in the field and such. So um, I actually started writing three short stories that I had planned on selling to, to different venues. And in fact, the first part of that Ear and Die, is a short story that got picked up by the Blackguards Anthology uh... and i wrote two more and then by the time i was getting ready to to get those out there in the world i was going to kickstart it uh... betty wolheim at daw ping me and asked me what i was going to do with it um, and i said well um, i was going to kickstart it but that's not written in stone uh... so we got to talking further and they ended up liking you know what the the arc uh... was going to be uh... and so it, it ended up being a, a very small novel fifty thousand words in length Um long enough that you know it's substantial um, but it's you know it's it it acts as kind of a great intro to 12 kings and the whole series because it it is a prequel it happens several years before 12 kings opens and just shows some of chato's adventures in shark eye
0: yeah i thought it was kind of interesting because usually after maybe a trilogy is complete then authors maybe go back for maybe a prequel or things like that so to have a prequel come out right after book one is kind of a unique approach
1: yeah you know uh, and and because I was just trying to do short stories initially, that was the main plan is just to kind of keep my name coming up in different places, you know, along the way. Um, and, and then do, you know, I would planned on doing a Kickstarter to pull all three of those together. Um, so it was odd. It wasn't really planned as like a prequel novel per se, but rather, you know, just a way to, uh, to, to just keep seeding my name in, in different places out there. So, but I'm pleased with the way that it's going because I think it acts as a, um, an easy to consume uh, entree
0: into what is a a larger, chunkier set of books, you know. And that those books would be the Song of the Shattered Sands uh, universe that you've created. Could you maybe just tell li- re- uh, listeners who aren't familiar with this universe kind of what they can expect from from Song of the Shattered Sands and what you've created?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm mostly a uh, big fat epic fantasy guy. You know, I'm I'm a Tolkien disciple. Um, I love. George Martin, um, uh, different larger sets of books like that. I love expansive worlds that are deep and broad. So, you know, I wanted to write something in that vein, but not necessarily in Western medieval Europe. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an uh, epic fantasy, uh, and, and I often compare it to uh, Arabian Nights meets Game of Thrones, just to kind of give the sense of scope and the, the setting you know that it's in. Uh, and it centers on a young woman named Cheda, uh, she's 19 when we meet her at the opening of the book, and without getting too spoilery, spoilery we discover early on that she uh, lost her mother when she was young, um, and it was, it's clear that the kings, uh, the 12 kings of Shar-Kai, uh killed her, and she doesn't know why. Uh, and she discovers soon after that there, uh, there were secrets hidden in her mother's book of poems that she left her that has uh, to do directly with her death, her mother's death. And so that starts her on a path uh, towards uh, perhaps gaining revenge, uh, but what starts as a revenge story quickly becomes something much broader, um, and that's sort of the mystery that unfolds unfolds over the course of that first book.
2: So could you, for people who are curious about the title of book one, The Twelve Kings of Sherekai, uh who are exactly the Twelve Kings of Sharikai? Uh, are they are they benevolent, wonderful kings, or are they <laughs> <laughs> are not? As,
1: as, as people may have guessed, uh, they are not. Uh, and by the way, I just want to give a quick nod. Uh, the, the title, Twelve Kings in Sharikai, is an is a nod to Roger Zelazny, who was one of my favorite authors. I loved um, the the whole Amber series, but the first book was mm. Nine Princes in Amber. Um, so I was just, you know... Tipping my hat a little bit to uh, to Zelazny, um, so the Twelve Kings uh, are a uh, a group of men who ruled the city uh, 400 plus years ago, uh, and there was an event uh, where a, a war was brewing. Uh, the people of Sharakai settled from these wandering tribes, these Bedouin-like tribes who sailed the desert on these sand ships, uh, so much like ships of sail uh, on the sea. They actually sail the sand, uh, and they uh, they they love and they honor the tradition of of moving from place to place, never settling. You know, constantly shifting with the winds and going from place to place. And and they sort of they hated what Sharakai became, this large, growing metropolis. And so they were set to uh, essentially raise the city. And the kings knew they were outnumbered and and would uh, lose the city if they didn't do something. And so they made a a dark pact with the gods of the desert uh, in which they secured their place uh, in the desert. Uh, They were granted immortality or perhaps near immortality, uh, and they were given uh, these holy defenders, uh, which are called the Assyrim. Uh, The Asirim are like almost zombie-like creatures that live under these twisted vine-like, thorny trees in the desert. And they come up every month uh, in the desert. But they were given to the kings uh, as warriors to protect them. And so they defeated the tribes that had banded against them and have ruled the city ever since. Uh, but that particular event, when they made uh, the, the deal with the gods of the desert, is is very much a through line throughout the, uh, the whole series. And we, we see parts of it in the, the first book, Um, Sheda starts to uncover some of those secrets uh, that I mentioned in her mother's book, and it has to do with what her mother was searching for and why she was killed. Uh, And so the kings themselves uh, are not only authoritarian, uh, they guard their secrets very closely and and defend it, you know, vigorously. They they try to quash any sort of um, sharing of that knowledge, discovery of that knowledge, uh, that type of thing. Um, so so the book is, is not only sort of a, a, a battle against the kings and their heavy-handed rule. Uh, it's also a battle to uncover what they've tried to bury.
2: In uh, in Of Sand and Malice Mate, do we learn more about the, the Twelve Kings that we maybe don't learn in the first book? Um, because it was a prequel and she hadn't really
1: gotten into that, a whole lot. The kings always are, they're always present um, in the, mm. in the, in Sharakai, but it wasn't, it didn't focus on them. Um, instead, the story focuses on a, um, a genie like creature called Rumayesh, uh, and the creatures themselves are called Erek, and they, um, they were made by the god of chaos long ago. Uh, and they they were sort of given life by him. they you know Goshen, the god of chaos, breathed life into them. and so they're they're not exactly human, they are near immortal. Um, and they sort of thirst for uh, humanity and and they uh, they want what humans have, uh, which is a a touch of the blood from the first gods, which they don't have, uh, and, and so they, they sort of thrive on that, um, you know, it, it drives them to a degree, drives them mad sometimes as well, because they don't have it themselves. And so one particular uh, Iraq named Rumayash is, has uh, hidden herself uh, in, in sort of the dark recesses of Sharakai for generations, uh, and she sort of toys with humans along the way. Uh, And she notices uh, or has someone bring Cheda to her. She sort of stumbles across Cheda and and she becomes very intrigued by Cheda. And so the story is about what happens then. You know, once she is uh, under the eye, uh, so to speak, of Rumayesh, uh, what happens and what does Cheda do to protect herself and her friends?
2: Yeah, I think uh, Cheda's introduced as a really uh awesome character like in the first in the first book uh immediately you get a sense of she's not only uh, physically strong like she beats the shit out of people but she's also right. she's also uh uh very headstrong also like she if she wants something she she goes for it um and and this is something that's that's come up a lot recently in fantasy fiction is about establishing uh more uh, strong female leads in, in, uh, fantasy fiction. So as, as far as, uh, are feeling about the issue, do, do you, do you think about that when you're creating a, a female character or do you just create the character that, uh, just comes naturally to you?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I certainly think about it when, uh, sort of outside of writing and I'm glad that this sort of turn is, is coming around and, and um, I think it's going to bring a lot of stories that are interesting that people have been hungry for for a long time. Um, I I really think that this stems uh, from me personally from growing up in a family where my dad was a breadwinner. He worked at American Motors in Kenosha, Wisconsin um, and, uh, you know, was was gone during the day. Uh, I have uh, a mother and twin sisters, one year older. Um, and so my, my dad was certainly present. Uh, uh, but I, also the female presence in my life was very strong, you know. So um, a, a lot of it comes from that. Um, even from my last uh, series, Lays of on a Sky*, where there was there was triplets in that book and strong mother figure. Um, and then now in the um, *Shattered Sands* series, um, I, I just I wanted someone I wanted someone like that who was headstrong, um, and she was affected greatly by her mother, even though her mother ended up dying when she was kind of young. Uh, her mother was very headstrong and, and single-minded. Um, and Cheda sort of knew that, uh, but it wasn't quite time for her to figure out or, or to learn from her mother why. You know, what, what was she doing and why was she training Cheda like she was? Um, what, what was her mother after in the end? You know, and her mother died before, perhaps unsurprisingly, given the, uh, the power of the kings in Shark She was taken from Cheda before she could pass that stuff on to her. Uh, but, um, but, so that's sort of, that's part of what I wanted to show in Cheda. Um, and then the other part of it too was like a, a main through line throughout the whole series, again, is a um, sense of what family is. Uh, and, and not just family, but tribe um, and, you know, a people. And what does that mean? And what does it mean if it's taken away from you? Uh, and how do you respond to that? You know, So that's kind of what I was toying with a little bit as I was thinking about her. Um, and she just became, you know, she was a, in, influenced a lot by her mother. And so she became a lot like her, and she is headstrong. Uh, but she does care a lot about family, even though she didn't have one. And maybe that's why. Um, she she yearns for that. And so she grows very close to her best friend Emery. Um, and even though there's a bit of romantic um, I don't know, entanglements going on, you know, they, they sort of come close, you know, to, to being lovers, uh, but they never really sort of cross that line, um, at least to any great degree. Um, and part of it is because he is family, you know, so she's she's constantly searching for that and, and feels frustrated when she doesn't get it, you know, more or less.
0: And you've actually got a short story coming up in the Hath No Fury anthology, which, woohoo, hoo uh, uh, funded, I think, uh, last week. Uh, yeah. We actually just had uh, Melanie Metters on the show and Pip Ballantyne to talk about that Kickstarter, uh, which will probably still be going on, I think, by the time we get this episode out. So I think folks can actually probably head over to that Kickstarter and back it now um, when they're listening to this. But you've got a short story in that uh, anthology forthcoming from Ragnarok Publications. Could you maybe give us a little sneak peek of what you'll be adding?
1: Yeah, so that one, and I'm really happy to be part of that anthology and uh, another Ragnarok one, which is is cool. So the Blackguards one Ooh. turned out really cool. Oh yeah. Um, and so yeah, so this one is all uh, based on you know strong female protagonists, uh, which is where the Half No Fury name comes from. And my story is a Shattered Sands one, uh, but because I had just written about Cheda in these other three stories, uh, and of course she's the the main character in the books, I wanted to focus on someone else, uh, and I chose Jaga. Um, Jaga is Cheda's mentor in the pits. Uh, so Cheda ended up being in Twelve Kings. We see her become the earliest uh, entrant uh, to the pits, uh, and she she does she does well um, early on. But um, maybe maybe not just partially, but maybe mostly because of Jaga training her. Who was a famed fighter. She's someone who went uh, undefeated. And I I put a little seed in Twelve Kings. Uh, by saying that Jaga had never lost, and she eventually walked away from the pits when she was young enough to still have her body, uh, you know, and be physically fit and enjoy life, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And she entered the the killing pits. Uh, So typically the regular pits uh, are such that you fight to some sort of finish, um, and you, uh, it's dangerous. People have died, but it's not to the death. Uh, But there is a set of killing pits where that's, that's what you know going in. One, you or the opponent is going to die, and so she um, she ends up uh, fighting someone who is also of great renown. And he he actually had retired and comes out of retirement, uh, and so it's about Jaga and why she decides to uh, fight him, even though she didn't really believe in that and where she came from, how she ended up in Sharokai. She's actually from a uh, these rolling. Uh, grasslands called Kundun the Thousand Territories of Kundun Uh, and uh, we never really know why she came to Sharakai in the first place Um, and so that mystery is kind of revealed and it's it's a painful thing Um, and so she's kind of searching for resolution in a couple of different ways, Jaga is and we see that play out in the story
0: God, I just <laughs> want to go read the books now. <laughs> let's just wrap the wrap the podcast. <laughs> yeah, all over. right, let's. I'll, I'll just I'll just start reading the books. You know, to you guys
1: about that. i will go enter no. the pits. now. Uh,
2: let's enter the pits together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I like that. Um, you're doing so many different things, involving K- Kickstarter and Pat- Patreon. Also, you just recently uh, posted your first entry. Uh, for your, on your Patreon page, uh, from Book Two of the Shattered Sand series, which mm-hmm. is called "With Blood Upon the Sand," that's right. Uh, how do you approach uh, promoting your Patreon or or spreading the word about that versus just regular book promotion, which you would normally do? Is it basically the same, or do you feel uh, there's a whole different way of approaching it, uh, like, like a Kickstarter? For yeah,
1: it's, yeah, definitely, definitely different um, because you know people are are kicking into the, the Patreon and essentially giving me money for something. So what is that something? And, and everybody has sort of a different view on what that is. Um, you know, Cameron Hurley has done sort of uh, per story, so she'll write a story and then and then you. I think it automatically um, m- makes the, the accounts pay whoever's backing her at that point, point. and then. Uh, uh, people like N.K. Nora Jemison have done where it's monthly, and the, so you provide things on a monthly basis. And that's that's the approach that I took, and I modeled it, you know, fairly closely after hers. And she's done great. Holy cow! Uh, I think hers is up to like five thousand a month. It's amazing. Good lord! Yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> and she set it up so that she could leave her day job, um, and and I set mine up partially because I would have more time because I've I've left my day job uh, as part of a resource action with IBM. Um, But what it did was free up more time for me. You know, I I decided to not look for a new job and try giving writing full time uh, a go. And so there were some things that I had wanted to do for you know the past bunch of years, but just couldn't find the time for it. And so I never, never took it on because I don't like taking things on that I can't do well. And so I'm doing things like sharing a bit of my. the writing itself, so you know, unedited scenes, maybe some cut scenes, which was the first one that I posted uh, a little bit ago from book two. That was actually a deleted scene, uh, even though the book isn't out yet. It's it's it happened very early uh, in the book, and so it's not spoilery. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually mentioned several times. I allude to that event, so it'll be actually be kind of nice to have it out there. Uh, but then I also do a lot of talks on writing at different conventions, I've been to uh, different conferences, I've been invited to libraries. Uh, things like that. And um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the craft of writing and teaching it and learning it myself from, from others. Uh, and so I had been wanting to do a bit more of that as well. So I've got a a number of things sort of brewing in the background. But the Patreon is cool, I think, uh, from my perspective, just because I, I get to talk a little bit about things that sort of come up during the course of writing. Um, and those will eventually lead into either Either essays on some bit of craft, or I might uh, do—I'm sure I'm going to um, do—a bit of um, videos like screen cap type stuff where I just talk about, you know, again, some aspect of my writing, or maybe some other person's writing that I come across, and I just you know want to talk about that topic, and then eventually more talks on writing. So I want to develop these into longer things, Um, and then that in turn will lead. Uh, maybe a year or so from now I'm planning on pulling together a book like a how-to book on writing just little little toolbox type things that will help people out I hope um, with some things that I think have been underserved uh, in the in the market Uh, you know I'm not I'm trying not to cover a lot of the same ground that I've seen in other books I I really don't Mm want to do that I want to Hit the things that I've seen that, that have been light bulb moments for me that I haven't seen covered well in other texts. So, so that's kind of where I'm headed with Patreon to a degree. So, some, you know, sharing
0: writing, but also sharing how to on writing. And you'll have a little bit more time since you just actually turned over and became a full time writer and stepped away from your job at IBM. And that was just a, a, few, a couple days ago, right? Yep, yep, exactly. And um, this is Saturday as we tape. So it's just been um, like three days.
1: Uh, so it's, uh, it's it's you know, I've, I've known for a little bit. I was notified a, a few months back. So I, I'm, I was aware, you know, and I've been making preparations uh, for it. But it's strange because I've been in IT uh, since I left college. That's what I went to school for at MSOE in Milwaukee. Uh, and I've only worked a handful of jobs. So each one has been... You know relatively long and this last one was twelve years uh, so it's you know you develop a, a a fairly ingrained routine over that kind of period and so it's sure. just weird now to be uh, <laughs> away from that stuff and like i have I' have not you know I've I have a uh, starting to develop a routine to a degree because I've been working on writing for so long i ha- I've had nightly routine you know I, when everybody gets to bed I pick up my laptop and I go write for like an hour, hour and a half. And that gives me like a thousand words a day. So like the actual session of writing, like the one hour, one and a half hour session is, is strong, you know, within me at this point, that's not a problem, but just like sort of managing the daily life, you know, like the kids and where are they going? Are they home? Are they Loud and bothering me because it's summertime. They're not back to school yet, and <laughs> my wife is just entering the workforce again after taking years off to spend, you know, raising the kids, and and so it's it's re- and when it, we just moved as well as part of sort of oh, a, a downsizing <laughs> move too. Yeah, I know exactly. Just to pile on more, um, so super, you know, shaky in terms of like how I feel at the moment and 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 where things are headed, but. I feel pretty confident that I'll I'll slip into a routine, you know, fairly quickly, uh, especially once the kids go back to school, because that'll provide, you know, a number of quiet hours to, to do stuff.
2: You're actually quite lucky to to only have a few jobs, because I think most writers have like shitloads of jobs. Like I've had like <laughs> fifty or 60. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm open. I actually talked to my former boss. He he was let go in the same action as I was and he's looking to maybe do some part-time work with a few of us that were let go um, so I'm you know I'm open to that um, just because I'm not super stable with you know the money coming in from writing yet I mean I've done uh, well you know with with the books but it's so uh, man it's so long between checks with writing I mm-hmm. mean you might sell a, a book for a decent advance but you'll You'll get part of that advance uh, on signing, but then you get more, maybe a year, maybe two years later when you actually turn in like book one, book two, book three. Um, and then when they publish it, and then royalties are, you know, more than a year after the book comes out. So when you sign a contract, it's like you're talking about a, a five to six year uh, time span before you're really starting to get the full money, you know, that that will be coming in from that that project, whatever it is so it's you know it's very topsy turvy very up and down in terms of like when things come in and how much comes in uh so hard to predict too because you don't know you know what what sort of issues there might be in any given company and how quickly they're on top of contracts and getting you the money that's owed and and all that kind of stuff so it's uh it's weird so i'm i'm definitely going to be looking for other things um you know so you know patreon is one thing but i'm also going to be looking at like um some some teaching, teaching, writing gigs—either talks at places or maybe doing some online stuff. I—I um, uh, I just actually, uh, let's call it inked, even though it was electronic agreement uh, with Lit Reactor. Are you guys familiar nice. with that outfit? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're—I mean, they're, had, uh, they're pretty cool. Uh, it seems to me I—I know them just from Delilah Dawson because she had done a couple of things with them, um, and the actual classes seem cool and they seem like a popular site. So I reached out to them, and so we're—I'm going to do a four-week. Um, class starting in I think December. We're still kind of working out the details, but um, uh, but I'm looking forward to that and maybe some other online stuff. You know, so I'll I'll have my fingers
0: in a lot a lot more pies <laughs> going forward here. <laughs> I was actually thinking of Lit Reactor when you because you're kind of the first author who we've had on that kind of gives formalized talks about writing on a semi-regular basis. It's even noted on your website at Quillings.com that folks can check out your talks that you have available. So Lit Reactor seems like a very cool avenue that I think you you could pursue. We had Delilah S. Dawson on the show before, too, talking about Lit Reactor as well. So that's cool. You got that combined with the Patreon. So I'm sure you've got a few of these income streams ideally coming in to help kind of keep the writing going. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, the, the
1: invitations for talks are... are somewhat rare but they've been coming in with more frequency and like gen con uh if if people uh, don't know that it's a gaming convention that's held in indianapolis uh and it's it's huge it's uh, at this point it's like i think daily is something like forty thousand a day um and so and there's a, a strong writer's track there and so some people not everybody but some people charge for the seminars that they give there some people give free seminars as sort of an advertising type of thing but uh but I, but I charge for them there, and and you know it, uh, they're pretty popular, and and um, I enjoy you know doing that there just because I get to to go and game a little bit while I'm <laughs> while I'm doing you know some of the stuff that I'm um, doing to to you know share writing technique too. What
2: kind of games are you into?
1: Well, Everything? so I still, uh, <laughs> yeah a lot. I mean, I, I get together with my gaming gang from high school still because uh, I uh, grew up in in Wisconsin and uh, in Kenosha mostly, uh, and. Uh, moved out to California for a little while but then moved back so I'm close to, to those guys and so mostly board games we don't do a lot of role playing although we're doing a and d 5th edition uh, campaign at this point um, which has been fun but the uh, the board games are fun because we just like to to sit and you know shoot the shit for like you know 2-3 hours you know have dinner <laughs> beforehand and yeah, and talk while we're playing so we're not so wrapped up in like the world you know we can just kind of like know see what's going on with each other and mm-hmm. talk about movies or you know their games or you know whatever what's what's going on with our lives so that's, that's a real nice uh relief valve you know for me just uh, on a weekly basis to
0: go and hang out with the you know good friends what are uh one or two of the coolest board games that you've been uh rocking lately um i really like War- lords of Waterdeep.
1: deep uh, yeah uh, i played but, that one yeah it's yeah, good yeah so that's like one of the old uh what is that from forgotten realms right yeah I think it is. Um, So yeah, that that one's really fun um, and really well balanced, I think. And the expansions are great. And by the way, if if anybody (laughs) has played the board game but don't have the iPad uh, version of it, it's a really good faithful adaptation. Um, So that's I've I played the hell out of that thing too. (laughs) Uh, And uh, what else? Um, Splendor uh, is a a resource management game where you play someone who. Uh, sort of a lord who is building uh, an empire of sorts of jewels and jewel mines, uh, and you um, you sort of uh, manage the the money and jewels that you have to get more mines and you get more power slash points uh, as you build. Uh, no dice involved; it's all like you know strategy based. Uh, and that one's really cool. It's a, it's a quick game, uh, but well designed and fun and fast. Um, yeah, so those and. Uh, Twilight Imperium, we played uh, not too long back. That one's a you know, big, chunky, space battle game. From uh, I think Fantasy Flight made it. Uh, mm. If I'm not mistaken, um, it takes a long time to play. But that one's you know the uh, the opposite end of the spectrum from
2: something like Splendor, which you know which is fun once in a while. One thing we talk about with authors a lot is uh, this keeps coming up over and over again. The the uh, connection between role playing games or games in general, and then uh, writing and the creative itch, uh, that, you know, you can, you can scratch many creative itches with role playing. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and because of your world is so expansive, uh, is there any interest in developing, uh, any of your worlds into some kind of role playing setting at all? um in, yeah interest i don't know that i would
1: do much of it it would be something fun to be involved in uh, because I, I think it's a, a cool setting it, actually either the lays of sky is kind of fun just because of the windship uh angle uh and the way that uh the the magic you know users wizards uh, attract elemental spears to control them uh and in the case of uh, the Shattered Sands series, you know, the I just, just I have always liked the Arabian Nights type of setting, which is why I explored that. Um, but it's a, it's actually a bit of a departure in terms of like um, the gods. I wanted really more of a, a Greco-Roman style pantheon of gods in which the gods are real, and not only real, but they involve themselves in the the day-to-day you know lives of of people. Um, so, so you know they they will be seen in the series, and, and so I I like that sort of angle. So that'd be fun to to sort of explore in role playing form, board game form, what have you. Uh, that that'd be fun. Um, I don't know if I'll tackle it just because it's such a huge undertaking to, uh, you know, because I I have backstory, but not exhaustive backstory. That would that would just mm. that would be a, another book, you know. That would just be source material <laughs> basically. So. Yeah, the Well, you
0: got time to write.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, that's Rather. true. I better get on it, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I'm just starting to develop a, a living card game. Uh, you know, I've been going to Gen Con for years, and I've had the itch. I've developed um, a role-playing game back in the day that never never got published, but it was fun to work on um, and tried to do a couple of board games along the way, and they just they never got off the ground. And I was always interested in computer games I was actually going to go into computer game design years ago and then took a right turn from that never never ended up doing it um, you know but games have always been a, a part of my life um, and every time I go to Gen Con I'm like oh I want to do just you know just something just play around with it a little bit and see what happens so so that's what I'm doing that's you know between all the the writing and just you know a, a little bit of escapism from the from the books you know let the mind recharge I'm kind of toying around with a a living card game will we'll see how that goes
0: and you mentioned uh, toying with forms. You you write multiple lengths in your in your writing. You've done n- novels, novelettes, novellas, short stories. Uh, you've got uh, short stories coming out in the Half No Fury anthology, like we mentioned. You also have a short story in the Evil as a Matter of Perspective anthology from Grimdark Magazine. Um, so you definitely have a, a propensity to kind of whatever length you want to write. You seem to do quite well. What's maybe your favorite length of story to 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 write personally? Oh, big fat novels is my favorite for sure. <laughs> Um, cause I, you know, I just, uh,
1: I, the first books I really remembered getting into, um, you know, I, I'd read other stuff like the, the Hardy Boys and, and other things that, uh, young mysteries. Uh, but when I hit, uh, Hobbit in third grade was when my friend Jim Boat, uh, showed it to me and I read it and I just loved it. And I loved how expansive it was and, you know, how deep and broad and that just stuck with me forever, you know? So that's my natural length, is uh, you know, large novel. Um, but um, and the other, the other lengths, I I started going to Gen, you know, Gen Con's uh, writer symposium years ago, and Kiz Johnson, who's such a gifted short story writer, I just love her stuff. Uh, she was had been speaking there for a number of years, and I had gone to a bunch of her seminars, and you know, she talked about short fiction, and that's when I really started to try to, that form out. And I still consider myself a bit of a hack when it comes to the shorter. Length works like something under, say, 7,000 words. Uh, I'm, I'm just not very, it's not a natural thing for me to write that short just because I like secondary worlds and that's usually what my short stories are. And so I'm, I'm trying to write these big, you know, lots of backstory and, and lots of characters and it just doesn't work well with that length. So in terms of like short fiction, I rarely these days, you know, I've done a few in the past, but I rarely write under, say, 8,000 words. Uh, it's, it's almost always in the 9, 10, up to like 15 to 17 range, um, just because I feel like even for a short story that I can get into a bit more stuff uh, and explore the world a bit before I have to leave it, you know, because that's a lot of work to build like a world and a story and then be done in a few thousand words. Uh, so, so I like a bit longer, although I do appreciate and admire um, people like um, Kij I mentioned, uh, Michael Swanwick. Uh, Ken Liu, um, Ted Chang, you know that can write these. Although Ted writes some longer stuff too, but you know these shorter works that are just, just gorgeous and self-contained, you know, and and um, really pull off a story in a a short length. I think that's great stuff.
2: It's just not my, (laughs) you know, natural (laughs) inclination. As far as anthologies, um, do do you feel like every time you're in an anthology, is that a form of uh form of marketing to get people to read your longer stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I've, uh, you know, years ago when I didn't have any books out, I was happy to be in anything, you know, for for any reason. So that was not, you know, the case then. But now, and this is a natural progression for any writer, I think. Once you start getting a bit more popular, you're selling more books, and you you start getting invitations to more things, and you, you just don't have the time. There's just not enough hours in the day to do everything that you – might like to do, or that people invite you to, and so you just have to start to be choosy. And uh, that's not a knock against anybody that's doing it, or you know, any any magazines or anything or anthologies. You just there's just not enough to do all the stuff, you know. So so you just have to pick and choose. And so I want to pick the things that I think um, align a little bit with the, the the stories that I like to tell. You know, select blackguards was awesome because. Um, uh, you know, Cheda is, is. she's not an assassin, she's not a thief, uh, but she is a bit, you know, she is headstrong, and, and she is out for revenge, and so it was, you know, it was a good match, it was just, you know, slightly off-center, let's say, from the, the primary theme of the book, um, and so that was fun to do that, and and all the other stories, I think, are in that similar vein, you know, and and so the other ones that I've been doing along the way are, uh, are like that. I want to, I want things that are going to promote. So like Half No Fury, strong female protagonists, you know, great match for me in the, in the stories that I've been telling sure. recently. Um, uh, and the Evil is a Matter of Perspective one, um, uh, that was a great match too. I actually uh, expand in that one on Rumaesh, which I mentioned from Of Sand and Malice Made. Uh, there's... Uh, Brahma is the main character actually in uh, one of the characters in you know, of sand and Malice made but he's the main character in this new story and he shows up again in book two of the series and so I wanted to fill in more of his details and so I'm you know I'm also starting to create a bit of a tapestry uh, of mm. characters and stories and threads uh, that are going to play a part in the larger overall story of the Shattered Sands series and how that ends
2: I, lo- I love that approach to writing the and you used a very good word there, tapestry, the, uh, I usually call it the Joe Abercrombie, uh, effect or what, whatever, uh, yeah. you know, you know, writing in the same world, but you have all these characters appearing in different stories and they have their own story that they may be featured in or, and then that weaves into another story. I really like that approach to fantasy fiction these days is you can, you can really get into an author, uh, easily that way. And also, uh, learn more about you know a character that maybe being a minor character in one story, and people, oh, that character was really fucking cool. I want to learn more about him or yeah. her, and then you, then you can find out about him in in a story or novella or whatever the case may be. So I really like that uh, tapestry. I'm going to start <laughs> start using that <laughs> tapestry method. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and I you know I admire that too. You, and part of it is that you need you need a property, let's say, a uh, brand, what, what have you, a world, you know, that lends itself to that. So you have to have some kind of um, critical mass, I think, to, to start doing that. And this felt like a good series because I had, uh, let's say, leveled up uh, with DAW. Um, and, you know, the new series is, is getting good attention. Um, and, yeah, so I like, I like different points of entry because it, it serves two purposes. Uh, either fans that already like the series can get a bit more, you know, flavor, um different angles uh, to look at the world and, and that's really cool for them and then there are other folks that you know maybe have heard about it but d- don't want to jump into a big new series yet and so like short stories are awesome because they can kind of get a flavor for what the the world is like and see if they would like the larger series um, you know and so I think it starts to build buzz you know in, in a couple of different ways um, and you know Abercrombie you know I think that's a good example and um, Brandon Sanderson, I actually did not like uh, initially when I heard about the Cosmere, um, you know, the, the whatever, the 35 book cycle that he's planning and, and has <laughs> yeah. planned for a long time. I was like, well, that's that's kind of, you know, goofy because you because like a steampunk world doesn't make sense with the medieval world and, you know, and vice versa. So he's got this like long running thing. Uh, but the more I thought about it, uh, the more I was envious of what he had done, because I, I think <laughs> it's really cool now, because people of that really like one series will gravitate more naturally to another part of that cosmere than they would otherwise. And he's, he's you know, wisely put in these little bits, uh, these little Easter eggs throughout all of the books, just so people do feel like it's a contiguous story, to a degree, even though they're separated sometimes by centuries and even worlds. I think um, so. It's uh, I think that's really cool of him to do that because it, it does give his fans um, uh, a sense that there's something larger and and um, and it's really rewarding for those people that want to tackle like that much material.
0: Thirty so, Sanderbot. Thirty-five <laughs> S- Sanderbot. Is that what they're called? <laughs> that's just what we we call him, actually, because he. he just he writes like a robot. Oh, I thought you were just, talking about the yeah. people to follow him, like they're <laughs> <No, no. laughs> <laughs> Morris <laughs> Anderson. We must have <laughs> processing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just gotta tap into his secret of productivity. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh man, yeah. Well, yeah. Here's hoping. I don't think I'll ever achieve that that speed, but because um, he, I, I've watched a few of his uh, online courses that he had done uh, for the university out in Utah that they put online. Uh, and he talked about like his when he's writing, not in brainstorming mode. but When he's writing, he get, his average is like thirty five k a week, you know. So he can knock out some of these huge things in you know like three, three and three and a half months, something like that, uh, which is pretty amazing. And it, but he's a heavy plotter too, so I I think he spends a and he's fast at that as well. But he you know he'll plot it out so he knows pretty well where he's going. So he's, there's not a lot of time wasted during the actual writing part of it, the drafting. Um, but I'm I'm not as heavy as, as a plotter as he is so we'll i don't know we'll see how it goes i'm I'm shooting for like 2500 words a day um Mm -hmm. so you know maybe i can get 12 a week something like that
0: 35k a week yeah that's crazy it's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) well bradley we're running out of time unfortunately and i feel like we just started the conversation (laughs) so um I think we'd like to have you, I think, probably back for maybe one book two drops, but you do have a you did just sign for a, another series. You're writing a trilogy, you're like, M- let's sign a contract for a new trilogy <laughs> yeah, <why not? laughs> as well. Yeah, while, while we're at it. And that one's called the um days of dust and ash from Daw Books. So that's forthcoming after you've written the Shattered Sand series. Yep, exactly. Okay. And what maybe just a sentence synopsis of what folks can expect from the Days of Dust and Ash. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so it's a um if people know Celia Friedman's Coldfire Trilogy, uh, th- that was a huge, huge influence on me as well. I really loved the, sort of the dark tone of that and had some science fictional background to it, uh, to the world. Um, and so just, just riffing off that a little bit, um, The Days of Dust and Ash is a is set in a world that's Earth-like um, in which a, uh, a a dark plague has, has uh, taken over the world and become semi-sentient. Uh, But before humanity was lost, a white plague was unleashed to combat it. Uh, And so what's left of humanity is um, in these, the larger cities of the world, like Montreal and Chicago, New York, although they're not called quite that, they're slight offshoots of our our typical names for the cities, um, people sort of survive fighting the plague and keeping it uh, away, and they're trying to push it back and and win uh, against the, the dark plague, but it's not uh, as you might guess uh, easy to do anymore and so um, one of the main characters ends up being a warlock who can um, uh, create and use magic from these demons these dark creatures that are born in the plague lands um, and he's sanctioned by the cities uh, even though they use the the white um, uh, plague to combat the the darkness um, uh, he's allowed because he can fight the plague on its own terms, and so they eventually come across a young girl uh, called Zioka, who has a sort of unfound, previously unfound ability to uh, touch both the white plague and the black plague, and so it's it's kind of about her and figuring out how can she do this uh, and uh, how might they they use her. Uh, even though it's clear that some people want her dead, uh, so so that's kind of the opening of the book.
0: <laughs> wow, that sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> that yeah, sounds it's, awesome. uh, it's it feels good. It's um I have actually been mulling it for years. I set it aside right when I sold. I had written like I don't know forty thousand words on it, and then I sold uh, Winds of Kalakovo, and then I had to start writing book two. So I just completely shelved it. But it's been nagging at me ever since. So I, I threw away those forty thousand words and re, reimagined it because it wasn't it wasn't quite ready for prime time anyway. Um, and then rewrote another um, uh, opening, like thirty uh, five k words, and then that's what we sold. So it's, um, I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be fun
0: a fun departure from uh, the uh, the shattered sand series. So the <clears throat> shattered. What are you presently writing right now? Is it book two? of Um, Shattered Sands. Book two is turned in. I'm waiting for edits on that. And in the
1: meantime, I have launched into book three, which is called A Veil of Spears. Uh, And so that, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't know, 12K into that at this point.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So book three getting getting written as we speak. And so Of Sand and, and Malice Made is the Newest novel drops September 6th. Folks can pick that up and they can grab book one as well, 12 Kings in Shirokai. Do you have any con appearances coming up um, soon, Brad, that maybe uh, listeners can catch up with you? Well, for folks that might be in the UK, uh, I'm coming to
1: London for Glance Fest. Uh, and then between that and Fantasy Con, which I'll also be at in Scarborough in September, um, I'm heading over to Paris for the, um, the French release of 12 Kings. Um, they're kindly having me by to talk to some bloggers and do some interviews. Um, so if, uh, if there's any French speaking folks that I uh, happen to be in, in Paris that week, I'll, I'll be there. Um, and then, um, the only other thing I have planned this, the, for the rest of this year is uh, world fantasy, uh, which is in, I believe Columbus, Ohio. So yeah, those, awesome. that's it for this year. And then, um, I do, I'll put in a quick plug cause I like this convention, Um, early
0: next year, uh, confusion in Detroit, um, I'm planning to hit that too. Very cool. And uh, Quillings.com is your website where folks can check you out and you're pretty active on Facebook and Twitter as well. You post a lot of cool updates, chapter updates, you post um, forthcoming artwork, uh, even chapter headers. You're like, which chapter header is is the coolest? Uh, And so I really appreciate (laughs) the way you engage uh, your readers and and your social networking is is very cool. So i suggest folks check you out on Twitter and Facebook and drop by your website. Uh, But Brad Ballier, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show today. Good luck with Of Sand and Malice Maiden. it's been great just touching base and geeking out for what a half hour now but we'd be glad to have you back on once book two drops yeah i'd be happy to, and thanks for having me on this was really fun yeah and how do you you say 12 kings in french is that yeah they say it's like douze wah
1: so douze is 12 and then r-o-i-s wa
0: is kings rolls off the tongue yeah it does (laughs) you i'm I'm sure you probably have to tip your audiobook reader too because you oh no kidding yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sarah Coombs, uh, did the, uh, the, the English, you know, version. I, I don't know what they're doing, uh, frankly in, uh, in France for it, but, uh, uh, she did a really great job, uh, with it. And we spent <clears throat> an hour or two beforehand just talking about all the different pronunciations for everything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she was, she was great. And your cover art is amazing too. Oh, means. thanks. Yeah. I've been, I've been really lucky. Actually the, uh, what, I have not yet released this, but, uh, Donato uh, Giancola d- did the second cover. Uh, so for "With Blood Upon the Sand," which is coming out in February next year, um, that one looks great. And Renee Agnier did the cover for "Of Sand and Malice Made," which turned out awesome too. So yeah, I've been I've been really lucky. And Adam Packett, of
0: course, for Twelve Kings. Um, it's been a, it's been a good run. I've been really lucky that way. Sure. Good stuff. Good stuff. Bradley P. Ballier, thank you again for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And we'll just wrap right there a three, two one, and then we'll throw on a little outro and some rock and roll music and the uh, smoke machine and stuff like that. so uh, do you have like a preferred preferred date? I know sometimes there's blog tours and you might be on another podcast. Is there like a preferred date? Maybe you would want this to drop? Um, let me see what is the sixth uh, go look that, that fits into your promotional window, yeah uh, maximized. So the sixth of this is a Tuesday. Tuesday.
1: So th- that's awesome. I, I actually like Tuesdays for a lot of my announcements. So if that works on your end, that's awesome with me. But um, done deal. Yeah. Cool.
0: Dropping it Tuesday the sixth. Yeah, dropping great. it. Drop it. Drop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, man, it was just great meeting you. I've been following you on social media for quite some time and read your stuff, and it's just uh, great to connect with you. And uh, yeah, good stuff. Just geeking out for an hour. Yeah, this is
1: so. a fun podcast. Thanks for having me on and, and chatting and cool questions.
2: It was fun, fun geeking out too. And thank you, thank you. I think we
0: Phil, could. be sure to say goodbye. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think we could talk even more. I mean, you just have so much stuff to talk about, and sometimes it's it's kind of. Uh, kind of like after you finish a really good book that's how podcasting feels sometimes like after you yeah. finish a good book you're like ah, oh, i wanna i wanna <laughs> i wanna learn more that's yeah kinda yeah like, some gosh.
1: some of our guests on um on speculate like uh joe abercrombie is awesome to talk to and yeah. um uh, mike cole and peter brett are always like we, we had them on together twice and then they're you know they're good friends of course and they have a good banter but they're awesome on their own too so that, that was really fun having them on yeah so i, I know what you mean
0: Yeah, so yeah we got them on our list some, at some point eventually yeah we just always <laughs> want to keep talking but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah thanks Well, good luck with the uh, transition there yeah thanks yeah, guys yeah
2: hopefully <laughs> yeah good luck with everything and uh yeah definitely hit us back up when you're ready for book two cool yeah i absolutely will okay thanks you guys thanks, Fred. Yep, yeah. take care okay bye-bye you too. take care Bye. Bye.